I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. Hey, Chris. Chris. Yes. Jesse, Chris, no, what you... no, I was talking to Chris. You oh, no. go Chris? mute yourself. What? Chris, what are you wearing? <laughs> what am I wearing? I got that? bourbon t-shirt, I see. I so we I know you're been. we know you're not ready to preside at mass based oh, on what you're wearing. Yeah, you know I'm not working from the office today. <laughs> well, <laughs> knowing what I know of you, you could probably wear that to the office. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, what type of investment are we making in this podcast? And that's investment. My investment. <laughs> just so slow with these. It's things. more of an investment. Okay. Sure. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. What type of investment? Uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, I'd say 28 what, minutes about. What's the o- what's the under over stole? Uh, oh, <laughs> save it for the joke section, Jesse. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Isn't there an under armor uh, clothing? Yeah. There is. Under yeah. armor over stole? Yeah. Under armor yeah. over stole? And then wow. you could have overalls. Yeah. Oh, that's true. All over. <laughs> All over. All right. And, well, folks, as you may have uh, divined by this uh, witty banter at the, uh, at the front of the podcast. Uh, this podcast. Hey, that's my, my instituted. That's my instituted ministry. I'm the minister of prepubescent, prepubescent trumpeting noises. This podcast is uh, so. The last couple were on uh, the ministers that need to be prepared to function uh, and sacramentalize uh, Christ and His mystical body uh, at the celebration of the Mass, according to the books and the tradition. And uh, the council, this podcast is what these people are going to wear, uh, what they are going to vest and in. And who wear it best. Who wear it best. That's right. <laughs> so we'll call it What Not to Wear. Wasn't there a show called What Not to Wear? There was. It's uh, it was. not on anymore, though. Yeah. It's like most of my cultural references are about 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That tracks. Yeah. You didn't have to agree so uh, eagerly, you two. <laughs> oh, but that a- would that would be kind of fun, you know, like go into a parish and critique the vestment closet like they used to do on that show. And oh, throw a bunch yeah. Of stuff in the trash. Oh man, it's so true. I bet how many I know the vestment closets in a lot of parishes I've been. They've got some old nasty stuff in there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's talk about not nasty stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what um, we want to talk about is uh, the type of vesture that. Uh, Let's see. Well, maybe we'll start with this line. So if you are not to be wearing old, nasty stuff, what? Uh, how would you describe the vestments you should be wearing? And you can see this uh, in the general instruction at number 335. What's the point of these vestments? I would like to back up a bit, which is you're okay. usually in charge of, right? Okay. Why wear vestments at all? That's the question. So yes. at the natural level, you dress up for important things, right? So it's obvious. At the other natural level, you can tell who's in charge by what they're wearing. Okay, great. Police officers wear uniforms and so on. But if you go all the way back to the earliest prescriptions for worship, the high priest, the priests, the acolytes, the Levites, they all have very distinct garments they're supposed to wear. And then what's made sense for me is the phrase about Christ taking all creation on himself or being wrapped in the garment of salvation. If Christ is at the right hand of the Father now, he is in a kind of glory 
eschatological glory that is represented by all of creation. He took all creation back to the Father. And so you see vestments are like wrapping yourself in eschatological glory. If they're colorful. So you used the word refulgent before, Jesse, which I cut you off on. Sorry. Sorry about that. So there's a sense of sacramentalization of who Christ is at the right hand of the Father, outside of time and space, the Lord of time and eternity. And that is going to have a kind of radiant glory, much like a gem would for a regular old stone. And then you want it to be intelligible and all that too. That's, that's my two cents. Now, oh, back to I you. you should say it. No, 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 no. Back to you, you're, you're not done just yet. Okay. Uh, you can say it. I think you should say a lot more about that. I, but you know, as you're talking, I was thinking, so is it as simple as these ministers are dressing up and playing Jesus? No, they are. If they're <laughs> sacramentalizing Jesus, it's not like wearing a Halloween costume. So, you know, I was just teaching stuff about the temple this week, and the, the high priest wore a garment that was woven of four different kinds of threads. One was linen, one was, and three were wool, blue, red, and um, purple. And these represented air, water, um, fire, and earth, right? So they were the, the traditional symbols of the four elements of all creation. So if the high priest is wearing all creation on himself, what's he doing? He's acting before, this is before Christ, as the Lord who is going to take all creation on himself. But now that all creation is eschatologically perfected, glorified, heavenly future, so if a priest is coming in dull, drab, uninteresting, then he's not a good sign of Christ who's taken all creation back to the Father and filled it with eschatological glory. Huh. Okay. So and, that... and, and in the and in the the high priest, Dennis, we've talked about this on the podcast before, on the Yom Kippur would wear the vestment with the twelve stones on it representing mm -hmm. each of the tribes of israel yeah, 12 gems that's right so and that that's a vestment that literally meant something that yeah all creation because, plus yeah, all they, of humanity going back to the father being worn by the priest the high priest now if christ is the true high priest he's taken all creation all of humanity of course humanity is part of creation back to the father and now we're taking christ in a sense not off his throne but if he were to leave his throne and walk down the aisle, what would the eschatologically glorified, radiant, all of creation Christ be like? Probably depends be, on the liturgical season, but well, yeah, probably. sometimes green, sometimes purple, <laughs> but it probably wouldn't be dull, beige, silly, you know, cheapo, flimsy. The Eastern churches have a great sense of this that they're wearing the the, the heavenly garb, you know, in their uh, divine liturgies. Yeah, no, it's um, I think it is a. When I asked that question, are they playing Christ? I thought you could have answered yes, but I think your answer is right. And it's not like Halloween. It is a true sacramentalization and presentation of of being. Isn't this a St. Paul line about being robed in Christ? Yeah, putting you're on the putting garment. on Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And at that, um, a lot of ways is at bottom, the, the, the fundamental theology, I think, of vestments is that when a priest or a deacon or a server or whatever puts on a vestment, it's to kind of hide in some ways the the fallenness of of himself and to put on the glorious uh, reflection of, of what christ is mm -hmm. now the easterners are big on this right the west when you read our documents like the section in the general instruction it says it's a sign of their office which is actually true there's a, it's kind of low on mystical explanations in the west and high on sort of clarity of what's happening and nothing wrong with that but i think there's more than that yeah yeah 
There's a, a there's a really good chapter towards the end of Cardinal Ratzinger's The Spirit of the Liturgy where he talks about vesture. And one of the things I remember about that, uh, just to throw this into the pot, is he talks about the, the story of the prodigal son. And when the father sees uh, or welcomes the son back, he, he uh, tells the servants to go find the best robe. But uh, in the text, it says that apparently in Greek, it's the first robe that he's supposed to go get. And that when the fathers read that uh, in Greek, they saw it as a restoration of that first original innocence that Adam had in the garden is that the, the father is restoring uh, his fallen son back to that uh, state that he had prior to the fall. And so this is another maybe angle of, uh, of church vesture is when these things are put on, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's eschatological. It, it's going back to that restored garden that uh, we hope to, well, and in fact, what are they, what are the, uh, uh, the elders wearing uh, in, in heaven? Well, the white robes, white robes, white robes. Wash, white robes clean yeah. in the blood of the lamb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's lots of uh, kind of theological and biblical and even cultural, like you suggested before, Dennis. I mean, just you look around that the, what people wear indicates, you know, what they do, what their function is, who they are and whatnot. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that could be said here. Yeah, we don't have a lot of official writings in the West about what the meaning of vestments was. So you hear people say that the chasuble was the common garment that people wore over their togas when they went walking, and they like to demythologize them. That's why I like to bring in the temple vestments, because God does give very specific directions on what to wear and what they mean, and then symbolic interpretations, all prefiguring Christ. And now we have it fulfilled on the other side of Christ in glory coming into our realm. You know, I think uh, if things go according to plan, our next podcast is going to be on uh, prayer and spiritual preparation. I think in that one, we might talk about some of the vesting prayers that Spoiler accompany alert. some Jeez. of these uh, vestments. So I don't really want to talk about those now, but I think when we get to those, those as well will give some of the spiritual meaning to these to these vestments. But anyway, let's go back to, uh, to 335. You know, at least say what's on the books about uh, uh, about vestments. And it says, uh, as you said before, Dennis, that uh, the variety of the people in the church don't have the same function and that this diversity is shown by what they wear. Right. So we talked before about uh, no mystical amoeba. You know, there's there's in the one body, people have different parts and functions. And when I start doing what father's supposed to be doing and he starts doing what the cantor's supposed to be doing, the, uh, the, the train is uh, going off the tracks. So one of the things that... Uh, expresses this diversity is what people wear. So um, another one, it says in this paragraph, is that these vestments should contribute to the decoration of the sacred action itself. Mm -hmm. and it, so it makes it beautiful. It makes it beautiful. Yes. May thing, I add something to that? Too? Yeah. Decorum is that word that we uh, mentioned in the last episode. It's a, it's a hot word for me, right? Because decere or decere in Latin is to be fitting. And fittingness is very much associated with beauty because beauty is the revelation of what's what's true, what's the reality of its ontological existence. And so if you're doing something important, you're ministering around the high holy of holies, the high altar of you know, God's altar in heaven, it's not just ho-hum pretty, it's fitting that the person be dressed according to that. Yeah, yeah, and it should also fit, yes. Uh, you have your fitting to be fitting. I, I like fitting. that. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, good, Chris. You're, Jesse's... Uh, Working on you all these years. Right. So fittingness is not just 
like, uh, you know, oh, it's important day. Let's make it look important. It's fitting according to its nature. All right. Back to you, Chris. Okay. All right. So let's look at some of these vestments uh, beginning at number 336. <coughs> All right. So it says here at 336, the sacred garment. I didn't notice that the first time. The sacred garment. So we're supposed to be using sacred garments common to all ordained and instituted ministers of any rank is the alb to be tied at the waist with a cincture unless it is made so as to fit without uh, such before the alb is put on. This is not, um, should this not completely cover the ordinary clothing at the neck and amos should be used. Okay. Right. Here's another one of those. Do you see this at your parish checkpoints, right? Sometimes people just throw an alb on and you can see their blue collar sticking out the top or, or just, you know, nothing, just their neck through the, the hole there. So an amice should be put on. I think a lot of people think of an amice, which is the square piece of cloth with strings yeah, on it and you tie it around. Yeah, imagine like a big napkin and there's two strings in the corners. and you You're already over, starting real great. <laughs> you put it over your shoulders with these strings and tie it in front and then around your body and it, it covers up your collar. And uh, I think a lot of people think of that as kind of see pre-Vatican II stuff, but here it is. Clearly right? post-Vatican II. Right. It says it should be used, right? It doesn't say it must be used, but should means do it, right? Well, I think it, it should be used if it doesn't, yeah, it does say should, if it doesn't cover your ordinary clothing. So if you can see a clerical garb is ordinary street clothing for a priest or a deacon. And so uh, that shouldn't be seen uh, beneath uh, the alb. So the am should be worn. Right. So everybody gets an alb, and then as you work up the level of uh, hierarchy, you get more stuff, you know, on top of the alb, it seems. Well, now let's different, talk different, about that. Different, different stuff. The the alb, too, I mean, is that a clerical garment or not? Apparently not, since it goes to instituted people, which by definition are not ordained. Yeah. And again, uh, ministers of any rank. In fact, go down, just fast forward here. Go to 339. And the dioceses of the U.S., uh, acolytes, altar servers, readers, and other lay ministers may wear the alb or other appropriate clothing. Yeah, so the alb is a vestment. It's not strictly a clerical vestment. What does alb mean? White. White, okay. It's it's really the, the vestment, I, I think, of, the, of all of the baptized. So, Jesse, after you baptize your baby. White garment. Not before, but after. That changed right. my life when you told me that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So you put them basically in an alb because this has been this is the garment washed clean in the blood of the lamb, and it belongs to all of those who have been washed clean in the blood of the lamb, you know, through baptism. And then at the end of your life, what do you wear? Do you know? The pall? Yeah. Yeah, that funeral pall is placed on uh, the casket, and then it's sprinkled as so-and-so was uh, buried in the waters of baptism. You know, so this it's it's kind of the the vestment for for everybody, all the baptized. Now, I think a lot of people don't know that, and I think if uh, you know if my if my mom came out and she was the lector and she was wearing an alb, that'd be more disturbing than helpful to uh, to a lot of people in the in the nave. But that's what is on the books: is that liturgical ministers may be vested in albs. May or should like a lector should be well, in an back alb? at number three thirty. No, it says the alb or other appropriate and dignified clothing. So it's possible that, um, you know, you could wear appropriate and dignified uh, uh, street clothing. Okay? But that's the, the second choice. And I think the... My nicest the, pair of jeans. The tradition would see, uh, you know, proper vestments. Mm -hmm. Right. So in Chris's world, 
ideally, the lictors would be wearing elves. Yes. True? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Chris's world, the ideal, uh, the, the lectors would be instituted and wear albs and be seated in the sanctuary. But again, mm. that's not, I, I want to back off on that a little bit. I don't think that's just Chris's world. I think that's an accurate reading of the documents. Can you imagine what that would look like to have the white-vested lectors sitting in the sanctuary waiting for their turn and processing to the ambulance? Like, that would be great. Gosh, that would make, all of a sudden it would take on a kind of appropriate seriousness for Agreed. Rather than someone kind of hopping up out of the pews in their street clothes, you know, even yep. their nice street clothes. Yep. Agreed. Jesse, get on that. Somebody ought to try this. So I'm getting lots of programming uh, uh, ideas from you guys. So you just keep talking and I'm going to keep <laughs> turning them into programs. All right. Let's go uh, to, to the next one. Uh, 337, the vestment. Oh, no. Dennis, I, yes. I'm curious to know what your translation says here. Let me read what mine says. The vestment proper to the priest celebrant at Mass and during other sacred actions directly connected with Mass is the chasuble worn, unless otherwise indicated, over the alb and stole. It's the same exact thing in mind with slightly different word order. So, yeah, Well, so I think the word order is, uh, this is what I'm getting at. I think in uh, the document Redemptionis Sacramentum, which cites... Uh, this paragraph, the word order is different because this makes it sound like the chasuble should be worn unless otherwise indicated over the alb and the stole, which means kind of, does that mean you can have one of these overlay stoles? But in uh, maybe in your translation and Redemptionis, it says uh, directly connected with the mass unless otherwise indicated is the chasuble worn over alb and stole. You wouldn't wear any of it. yeah. Which makes pretty clear that the stole... <laughs> That the that you wear the alb, possibly the amice beneath the alb, tied with a cincture, and we'll talk about the vesting prayers that accompany the cincture later, and then you put on the stole, which hangs uh, over the neck to the front, and then you put on the chasuble. You know, to me, this is one of the dumbest of all the intra-church arguments about whether the stole should be over the chasuble. And you don't see that anymore. In the 70s and 80s, it was kind of common. The, the overstole was like... People would fight to the death over whether you could have an overstole or not. And it's always been so clear. I don't even know why people care. I think they were trying to let the, uh, you know, let the people see the clerical garb or whatever. But it's a little silly to me that people even argue about that, especially when it's such a clear description of what, mm -hmm. what it ought to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go to 338. And this will bring up something else about vestments that uh, you wouldn't see. The vestment proper to the deacon is the dalmatic. Uh, rely on your etymology here. What, what, so where do you think the Dalmatic comes from? Dalmatia? It does, apparently. And where's really? Dalmatia? Yeah. Um, Europe somewhere. Uh, Europe somewhere is right. <laughs> I looked it up, actually, because I didn't I'm know. I'm kind it. of spotty on the exact <laughs> location. Oh. <laughs> I guess it's modern day Croatia. So which okay. would have been, uh, you know, part of the Roman Empire at the time. And uh, Again, the history of these vestments is not certainly not clear to me, you know, that they would talk about uh, the chasuble being a type of a tunic, a robe that a senator would wear and a, a dalmatic. A dalmatic has sleeves in it. A, uh, a, a chasuble does not have sleeves in it. But a dalmatic from Dalmatia um, would be worn by like uh, either from people in that territory or other dignified people or uh, people of lesser rank than senators. In any case, that's worn uh, by the deacon uh, over the alb and the stole. Oh, how about this? However, the dalmatic may be omitted out of necessity or on account of a lesser degree of solemnity. Now, 
This I learned something a couple weeks ago from a coworker, uh, Deacon Brian. So shout out to, to him. Uh, in this document, we mentioned a couple of times Redemptionis Sacramentum. This was the one that uh, John Paul II asked to be written about the Eucharist. It says in that document that this option to omit the dalmatic uh, should that we should refrain from exercising that option. Wow. Yeah. So why don't they insert that stuff in the general instructions so people know? Well, I'll bet when they books. rework this again, that'll be Did in it, there. Do so. you think the intent there was like if you're doing, I don't know, like you're doing an emergency baptism or something, you know, like no one's going to care if you're wearing the Dalmatic or not. Do you think the intent is something like that where like in rare cases, would you remove that? But Well, I think uh, here's what I think. I don't Speculating. Is that uh, you know there is such a thing as uh, progressive solemnity, and maybe you thought if it's you know the six thirty a.m. mass on Wednesday on a, a an ordinary time that you just the deacon could just wear uh, the stole. But I think again, I, I think sort of this lowering the bar uh, to a type of minimalism has just gotten too far out of hand, and so the response to that is saying. Uh, even though the germ says this, we should refrain from omitting the dalmatic. I mean, the deacon is dressing up like God and it's not about him. It's about Christ and the vestments help to show his role, help to safeguard his role, help to make the liturgy beautiful, help to distinguish between ministries. So the, the weight, if you're just standing there and your dalmatics hang on a hanger in the sacristy, put it on, I think is what the, the instruction is saying. Yeah, and you know, I very rarely see a dalmatic, even when there's a permanent deacon. I know in certain dioceses they have the custom, which is the deacon doesn't wear it. But uh, if you're talking about liturgical fullness and you buy one, right, sitting on the hanger in the sacristy, why not? Uh, well, why yeah, not use it, again, you know? if we if we could go back to traditionis sacrament, why do people go to uh, the usus antiquior celebrations of the mass? Do they like reverence and fullness of display of liturgical? Yes, yeah. yes. It's it's it's. They say it's it's beautiful. It's reverent. It's serious. It's otherworldly. All right. Well, if you want to if you want to help unite people into the celebration of the liturgy, I mean the the post conciliar books have on the books and in the books as we're reading right now. Uh, so many of these same options that uh, to to utilize those could go a long way to, I think, liturgical uh, reconciliation or unity or anything like that. So, Are you reading this all through the lens of Traditionis Custodis again, Chris, that we should uh, try to bring about this liturgical uh, fullness well, and I, avoidance of abuse? I am. I am. I think a lot of people read the letter and said, this is a dead letter. Doesn't This is not us. Doesn't concern us. And, you know, whatever the... You know the the legal things that a Dawson bishop might do. Um, you know that that might vary according to place. But one thing I think we should be reading this as as a letter to. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say uh, ordinary form Catholics and extraordinary form Catholics. There are Catholics, and and some from time to time celebrate attend both liturgies. But I think people who uh, celebrate and participate in the ordinary form. This letter is written to to them, to us. Quit goofing around and <laughs> start celebrating the liturgy like it's supposed to be celebrated. Open the book. I mean, when was the last time? Uh, I don't know. 
mean, this is probably unfair. It's about the same as the last time, you know, a bishop or a pastor or a priest or a deacon or a lay person actually read through the germ. And, but I could ask myself that too. And I probably wouldn't have read it for a long time if I didn't have a podcast to record, you know, on this particular afternoon. But find out what the books say and why they say it and implement Hey, it. fun fact. We're going to have uh, Father Martis is going to be teaching a class on the general structure of the Roman Missal in a few weeks. So uh-huh. we'll be publishing that on our online uh, study program. Hey, how about so, that? Well, I looked up the Redemptionis Sacramentum paragraph while you were talking, Chris, and it is paragraph 125. Um, and it says, in order that the beautiful tradition of the church may be preserved, it is praiseworthy to refrain from exercising the option of omitting the dolmatic. <laughs> so that's a very beautiful way to put it. We want the beautiful thing to, to stay. Beauty so, and tradition. That's yeah. the word you yeah. Right. And then so there's this the, about the, being a guardian of the tradition. Yeah. You don't have to be an extraordinary form adherent to be a guardian of the tradition. I mean, the, the, the current books guard the tradition. Too. I'm sorry, I'm talking over you, Dennis. That's okay. In the next paragraph, it says, even if a priest is celebrating alone, when one minister participating, he should not... Uh, refrain from using all the vestments, which you could imagine if you're celebrating mass alone, you know, in an oratory or something in your rectory. Oh, well, I'll just use a stall or maybe I won't dress at all. But um, it's like, nope, that's not allowed either. Hey, I think this came up in another podcast too about the Dalmatic. Who else wears the Dalmatic? Bishop. The bishop. Yeah, yeah. especially in more solemn events. He wears a Dalmatic too. And there's a real special connection between the bishop and uh, the do I get Do I get a bell on that one, Dennis? Ding! Do we have a bell anywhere? I, ha- I have one in my uh, over here. No. Wait, sing songs. Ring my bell. goes. Okay. Oh, there hey. it is. Good job, Jesse. He has one job. It's to just keep the bell on him at all times, and he doesn't do That's it. That's right. Each liturgy guy should do all of, but only those parts that pertain to him. I'm st- Dennis, I'm still laughing at when Chris did the horn and you said, hey, that's my instituted <laughs> yeah, ministry. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right up there with the uh, the lamb uh, bear from uh, Let's Get Metaphysical. That's my, my favorite episode. Oh, you don't man. know how important it is to me, Jesse, when you find a joke of mine. For <laughs> You're like I, I had to arbiter. mute my microphone because I was laughing for about a minute yeah. still after that. I saw the... <laughs> milk coming out your nose. Anyway, Chris. Okay. Vestments. Yeah, let's get this thing over with. All right. So we've talked about albs, cinctures, amices, chasubles, dalmatics, stoles, uh, and what priests, deacons, instituted ministers, and other ministers uh, should wear. See, there's another one called a cope, which is worn by the priest in processions um, that accompany sacred action. So like on Palm Sunday, the priest would begin by wearing a cope or the beginning of candle mass on February 2nd, the priest would uh, wear a cope. Or he benediction a cope and, or uh, yeah. sometimes weddings mm-hmm. too, right? Uh, outside of mass, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's go to 343. Uh, for making sacred vestments, in addition to traditional mer- uh, materials, natural fabrics proper to the region may be used as well as artificial Fabrics that are in keeping with the dignity of the sacred action. I thought that was cool what you were saying earlier about the God even legislating on the thread yeah, that it, the high priest was supposed to wear. And it was wear. do it or else, right? You know, lightning bolts, pow- pillars of salt. You were you were not in good place if you didn't obey every little detail. Now, we don't live in that kind of fear. But I do remember reading long ago a um, dubium that went to Rome about whether they could use rayon for chasubles because it had been legislated that it had to be silk and only silk and i guess maybe they had certain exceptions in hot places or whatever but they didn't know if it was licit to use materials that looked like silk but didn't get eaten by 
silkworms and you know bugs you know moths and they got the permission as long as it was dignified just like it says here that it yeah. would be uh, suitable yeah. Yeah, and all of this stuff, so, you know, things liturgical, like things Catholic generally, I think, uh, there's always a nod and an acknowledgement of natural things, whether that's beeswax and candles or natural fibers or even the the uh, unamplified human voice, you know, that the, the natural world is participating in a certain way. We are priests of creation and we're bringing natural things so that they can be redeemed by God too. Yeah, so you don't want to go to the traditional fabrics. Well, it's not illegal, so let's just get the cheapest machine washable thing, right? It should be non-natural if it um, is still fitting for the liturgy. Who, who is the priest? He's going to be mad at me for remembering. Father Don from St. Louis. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Father who? Father Don from St. Oh, Louis. Oh, Father Anstetter. Yeah, yeah. He had this beautiful chasuble made while he was a student at the Liturgical Institute, and it was real silk. And it was so beautiful, and I just said, oh, yeah. Even the ones we had made at the LI were nice, but they were, you know, they were artificial material, and the silk was so gorgeous. I was like, yeah, this is a, this is a notch up. Yeah. And again, you know, it, it's not for him. It's for God. It's so that when the priest functions at Mass in Persona Christi Capitis, he looks like God, and he talks like God, and he acts like God, and it helps him to do that, and it helps us to, to see that as well, but. Dennis, say something about um, number 344. Well, to add yeah, oh, yeah. It sounds just like the architecture stuff. It's fitting that the beauty and nobility, ah, noble, you know, is my favorite word, of each vestment derived not from abundance of overly lavish ornamentation, but rather the material that is used and from the design. Ornamentation should consist of figures or images of symbols that evoke sacred use, avoid anything unbecoming. So, you know, when you read Sacrosanct Concilium, there's the section on noble beauty and noble simplicity. And it says that vestments should have a noble simplicity and the ornaments should have a noble simplicity. And so it doesn't say that about <clears throat> art and architecture, but it does say it about uh, vestments. And I think it's funny. You think, well, in the 19th century, there was this Victorian fear of empty space. They call it the horror vacui, the fear of empty space. Everything was put on top of stuff in the machine age world when you could have all these machine main ornaments. It's like more ornaments equals better. And you might think, well, what does the general instruction from the 21st century, why is it reacting to 1880? But in many ways it is. Too much ornament covers up the nature of the thing. Just enough ornament brings out the nature of the thing. And that's what they're talking about. Great. All right. Uh, then this chapter goes on to talk about the various colors uh, that are used uh, investments over the liturgical seasons. But I think uh, maybe we better wrap this up. But, you know, before we do, right, so we're we're getting ready for Mass and uh, we're in a beautiful church building with proper and beautiful furnishings. We have the full complement of ministers who are well-prepared uh, to do what they're supposed to do. The faithful are ready to do what they're supposed to do. Everyone, well, Actually, I, I wanted to say something about this, but I mean, if the if the ministers are supposed to be vested in a certain way, I think that would, you know, it behooves the people in the nave, even though they don't have a ministerial function, that, um, you know, ought to be dressed accordingly. And I don't know if maybe this just shows how super... I'm the one wearing the Got Bourbon t-shirt, by the way, but mm -hmm. you know... You're not, how, a, you're not a mass right now. <laughs> we shouldn't see any... We, we shouldn't see yeah. any navels yeah. in the nave. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh! This, that's good, Jesse. But you know how you, 
just somehow the, the the clothes make the man. You know, when when you when you wear something that is dignified and beautiful, that it 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 uh, not only expresses something about you, but it fosters something within you about. Uh, your worth and your dignity. And again, I don't mean this in a superficial way, but, you know, as a family, uh, you know, to, or an individual for that matter, you know, to dress accordingly, to go to Sunday mass is going to help the dignity and beauty of the whole celebration. Uh, it'll help you help those around you. It'll help the whole church. So I think that's something that ought to be considered as well. Yeah. What's your eschatological garment? Well, it's your baptismal garment. You can't wear that every time. But what would it be like to say, I'm now going to put on the clothes that signify my eternal glorification in heaven with the Trinity? Yeah. Something something. Dress nice. for the Trinity. Imagine mm-hmm. you're going to live in the heart of the Trinity. What would you wear? Dress for success. Yeah. And leave room for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. All right. right, So so we have these things lined up. Next time we'll talk about what we need to pray first, and then we're going to be ready to start this Mass, this excellent traditional contemporary Mass. Chris, you're so good at telling us what we're about to talk about and what we just talked about. So thank you for doing that because I'm sure it helps our listeners a lot. (laughs) All right. Should we answer a liturgy question? Absolutely. Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, this week we have a question from Teresa. Teresa says, hello, liturgy guys. Is that Teresa with a T-H? Or a... It is a Teresa with a T-H. Okay. Yo, but hey, Teresa. To be, to be clear, I never know if it's Teresa, Teresa, or Therese, so I'm just saying Teresa. So, Teresa, I apologize uh, if that is the wrong pronunciation of your first name. But... She says, hello, liturgy guys. I've often wondered about the need for a dispensation if I am sick for mass. If I am sick, do I need to seek out a dispensation or do I automatically get one? This would help me out a lot. Thank you, Teresa. Let's start with this. Teresa, don't be lazy. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Okay. Now, I say that as a joke partly, but also, you know, you have to prudently decide Am I really sick? Am I contagious or am I just lazy, right? So we're going to presume that people have gone through a little internal examination of conscience and they have a real reason. Very sick. The kids are sick. Their mother needs help. You know, it's different. I don't know. How do you determine a grave reason? Their favorite football team lost the home opener. Yeah, the new yeah. the new episode of the Liturgy Guys just came out. I mean, there's lots of yeah. reasons. That'll make you sick. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, Chris was talking talking about the football team, not the liturgy guys. Okay, (laughs) the Bears. Oh yeah. Okay. So, anyways, yeah. So if you're if you're, this is what I suppose the best place to go is. um, Well, just know the, the the church wouldn't ask you to do what's not possible for you to do. You don't have to do ever do the impossible. So maybe the the place clearest place in the code of canon law would be, uh, let's see, 1248. If participation in the Eucharistic celebration becomes impossible because of the absence of a sacred minister or for another grave cause, and I think uh, another grave cause would be illness, prohibitive illness, or caring for someone who's who's ill that would require you to be there. So uh, you are dispensed you are not obliged to do what you are not able to do so i would uh, rest easy about that and another place that that is mentioned is in the catechism of the catholic church number uh, 2181 
And it says uh, people are obliged on Sundays and holy days have obligation unless excused for a serious reason. For example, illness, the care of infants, or dispensed by their own pastor. So I guess there are some that you don't need dispensation, but there might be other ones that are not as obvious, and you can ask your pastor for a dispensation if necessary. But I suppose if you're contagious, if you're not feeling well, if there's a real need, it's kind of in your internal forum, as they say, to uh, determine is it a grave reason or, or not. Yeah. Yeah, great find from the catechism there, Dennis. Oh, yeah. Very clear. It's a treasure chest. All right, Teresa, I hope this answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by Adoremus, the Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture and Ex Corde, both at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.